Welcome to Hack to Start, a podcast focused on interesting people and the innovative ways they achieve success. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Each week we speak with a new guest about how they created, hacked, and hustled their way to the top and distill their insights and experiences for you. The path to success isn't always linear. Hack, start, and repeat. This episode is brought to you by Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. Ghost, a simple, powerful publishing platform that allows you to share your story with the world. And SoundCloud. Hear the world sounds. You're listening to episode 93 of Hack to Start. This episode features Meng Tu, the author of Design Plus Code. Tyler and I want to invite Meng onto the show to share his story as an entrepreneur and designer. Meng started off his career as a self-taught graphic designer who transitioned into digital work. Years later, after finding himself at the crossroads in his career, Meng decided to launch his own product, Design Plus Code. Two years later, Meng is still as passionate about helping people learn how to implement their designs as real products and continue to grow and build Design Plus Code. Meng joins us to share his story, what motivated him to launch Design Plus Code, how he grew it into a full-time project, what it's like to travel for two years, what it's like to be a new parent, and much more. This is an amazing episode you won't want to miss, so let's get to it. Hey, Meng. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, we're super excited to have you on the show to you know, share with us what you've been working on with Design and Code and, and what you're up to now. So before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, like where you're from, what you studied, and how your passion for entrepreneurship and design really developed? Yeah, so I'm a designer, uh, but I started about 15 years ago. And like most designers back in the day, we're you know, kind of half graphic designer and half you know, maybe doing a little bit of HTML on the side. So that was definitely like art was something that was that used to be much bigger, you know, especially with print and, you know, we used to do flyers and eventually do doing websites. So that's that's a bit uh, about my background. And I, I you know, in, in my late teens, I would say I started transitioning from drawing stuff with pen and paper to uh, something more digital and started doing websites. And then the, the passion just grew from there. And I, I think back in the day, it was really huge. You know, the internet was huge. Uh, movies like The Matrix and stuff like that really inspired uh, like a new generation of uh, graphic designers and, and flash designers, if you remember. Um, but that, that's when uh, really uh, where I started. That's awesome. I remember when The Matrix came out, that movie just blew my mind. Yeah. So how did you first teach yourself how to code and how did you get your first you know, design jobs? First of all, I guess I should mention that I didn't go to college for anything about design. As soon as I finished high school, I guess I mentioned it in my blog, you know, I had kind of like a small debt to my brother, which is like 500 bucks back in the day. And for someone who's like 17, 18, that's, that's a huge amount of money. So I had like two options. One, which was, you know, to get a part-time job at maybe a coffee shop, stuff like that, or... I decided to, for some reason, I decided that summer that I maybe I wanted to apply for a design job somewhere because I had already a portfolio. And the portfolio consisted simply of like a Jetly website. You know, I created like a forum for Jetly fans to communicate. And, you know, forums was quite big back in the day. Um, so I had that in my portfolio. I created a website. And with that, I already impressed a few companies with 
just that much and I managed to get a, a job. Now, the problem was I couldn't do it part-time, right? You can't just accept a job this serious and, and want to do it part-time. So I had to, back in the day, I, I thought I was just going to do uh, a sabbatical, but it ended up, you know, taking, you know, the rest of my years, basically. So, you know, I've been doing design uh, as a professional ever since. So what were some of the most interesting projects kind of early on that, that you might have been a part of or worked on? And, and how did these have an impact on sort of your design career? I would say that Flash had a really big impact on me and graphic design. But I think the biggest impact, if, if, you, if you want to call a success today, would be um, the introduction of the iPhone. That was kind of like a turning point in terms of my passion, but also in terms of like the kind of quality and the, 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 the kind of uh, user experience that I wanted to get through whenever I work on a product. So the iPhone really put the designer on a much higher level than, it, than they used to be. Because you have to understand that the reason why I started to learn code was because I couldn't find a way to be you know, successful at what I do as a graphic designer. Because graphic designers, print designers, web designers, they, they were not really considered too high in a position in terms of uh, like in a company. They, they were paid like maybe half of what coders used to be paid with good reason, obviously. But, but I think the user experience designer today is what really sets us apart and really uh, what brought us to a much higher ground in terms of uh, in, in this industry. So with the iPhone, suddenly designers got to be uh, so much more valuable in a startup. And, uh, and that really got me back into this this thing so that's when i started doing like uh, more skeuomorphic design back in the day i mean that's that's not what we used to call it but eventually that's how we name it but creating realistic graphic user interfaces that really resonate with the users is what we were trying to do is like because technology was so new to everyone we had to find a way to make them understand as quickly as possible and to 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 kind of engage them very quickly and, um, you know, the Flash was the same thing. When you, when you work on a Flash project, the first thing that comes to mind is the animation and the sounds. And it, it was really futuristic and it was very geeky. But back in the day, you have to understand that most of the people using uh, products, especially websites, were people who were early adopters. And they, they, they were really passionate about all these small details. And they understood that fonts is okay, that they are small. Now that the audience has grown so much, that's not acceptable anymore. We, you can't have like tiny fonts at 12 points that, that it used to be in at pixel, um, uh, on a pixel level and stuff like that. So what's, what was acceptable back then, it's not acceptable anymore. But that's, that's when I, I really got passionate about and that was a turning point for me. I know that's awesome. So fast forward, you're actually now the founder of Design Plus Code, an awesome and beautiful course that helps people learn Swift and code to design and build applications. So what really motivated you to start Design Plus Code? I mean, that's kind of a long story, um, but I'll try to condense it. Um, if you have a chance, like obviously you can read on uh, Design Plus Code slash story. I, I managed to, you know, to follow my dreams and go to San Francisco, which is where basically all the, all the best designers are. And I really wanted to, to work with really talented people. This is some, something that I've tried over and over in Montreal, but every single time, you know, I was blocked by something. 
And eventually, I really wanted to to move to San Francisco. So I found a job there thanks to my Dribble portfolio. And even though I didn't have a degree in it or anything, I had the opportunity to to be on a, a J1 visa, which allows you to stay there for a year and a half. And then from there, I stayed for a year and a half with the objective to renew the visa using an H1B. Unfortunately, I didn't get it. And so <laughs> that's when I got denied. And, you know, I had two options, which was to go back to Montreal and find another job or to travel, which I did for two years. Now, as soon as I started traveling, I wanted to do either freelance because obviously traveling takes a lot of money. And then I also had the other option, which is to start my own product. And this is something that I've, I've done on and off over the past 10, 15 years because I, I used to start like a community for Jet Li fans and also for graphic designers like myself. So those projects obviously didn't, they didn't lead anywhere, but this was my chance to do it over again, but on something that, that I'm passionate about now. And I know that, you know, I stayed in, in Hong Kong for six months. Um, so in Hong Kong, that was another turning point for my career because it allowed me to work with really passionate people, you know, not like in the same league as San Francisco, but definitely very, very hardworking and very, very open to the idea of learning new things. And I think that's really important, regardless of where you are in the world, you have to be very curious about new technologies and new ways and new uh, principles to learn. And so I, I use my experience in Hong Kong um, learning Angular and then learning iOS with an iOS engineer that I used to work with. And we went to hackathons and we hack a bunch of projects. And eventually I learned how to do iOS development. Now, for a very long time, I wrote about Sketch. And then I, I, I wrote about using Xcode as a prototyping tool. And, and that was like two years ago. So that was something that was extremely new and that a lot of designers wanted to transition to. So that was the essence of the book. It's to, to be able to, to take what I wrote about and kind of 10x it, kind of make it into a book. Instead of like a thousand words, I would write something that is 30,000 words. Instead of teaching people with just a few images, I would have 15 hours of videos. So teaching what I learned about Sketch and about Xcode is what really spanned uh, this book called Design Plus Code. And um, thanks to, to, to the success of the book, of course, now I'm an entrepreneur and I kind of manage my own time. And the, the book is re- still doing really well after al- almost two years. And uh, I, thanks to the book, I, I was able to travel two years instead of three months. And, and now we have like a new product called Angle, which is kind of like a, an additional layer to, to the whole project. That's amazing. I remember reading your story online, and one thing that I really wanted to focus on was how were you able to manage working on design plus code and traveling throughout the two years, and how did traveling really impact you as a designer? Oh, it impacted me a lot, like in so many ways. Um, traveling really allowed me to manage my time and to to manage all the the noises in my life, like. There's so much that that is thrown at you when you travel. Like you have to find a place to stay. You have to find uh, a place with enough with a good Wi-Fi. You have to deal with the food because you can't cook. You have you don't have a kitchen. One of the strategies that I use and um, is that like I would stay at a hotel for about three days and then I move to the next one for another three days because at the same time we wanted to 
to sightsee and, and to, to see all kinds of places. You know, in the end, we, we stayed at around like, you know, I would say over 200 hotels. We, we stayed at over 20 uh, countries and 35 cities. So that was a really, really long trip. And there was just so many things that was happening. And the only way to make sense in all of that stuff is, is to really learn how to imagine, manage your time. So some of the specifics in, in terms of strategies is like, for example, you want to find a place that has enough good Wi-Fi. So you can't really go to a hostel. Or, you know, if you can, then you, you have to find like a, a coffee shop that is not nearby. And then you have to find a place that has the food taken care of. So, for example, if you have like the breakfast or, you know, that is included or you have really nice restaurants that are nearby. Um, so you have to be very strict about filtering all the distractions as much as possible. So eating, moving around. And then the reason why I, I picked, you know, I, only, I could only stay three three days per hotel is because the hotel would essentially be my way of you know, moving around, right? So if there was like a, a place that I want to sightsee, I would take a hotel right there instead of like staying in one place and then having to commute for like two, three hours um, to get to the place that you want to you, you visit. So that allowed me to, to kind of move around, but at the same time stay focused. But also, you know, I was with my, my, my girlfriend and, you know, since I'm not alone, I can't just like be selfish and just work all the time. So I had to make sure that she's um, she's happy doing all the traveling. I mean, obviously, we're traveling. We're not just like going to some place to work, right? We want to explore. We want to um, discover all kinds of cuisines and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I had to come up with quite a few uh, things to to manage my time and to to be focused at work. So it's good that you were able to find these strategies and and make it work. So what was the entire process like at like a high level around creating and launching Design Plus Code? The big thing about Design Plus Code is you have to find a niche. Like you have to know, first of all, you have to start from somewhere. You know, you can't just from one day to another, you know, write a book and just be done with it and, and hope that it's going to sell in the thousands or even in, in the dozens of thousands. You have to come from somewhere and you have to make little jumps one after another. So my little jump, my first little jump was, you know, writing about sketch because back, you know, three years ago, almost no designers that I knew of were using sketch. And so I had to write about it because first of all, I, as soon as I started using sketch, I, I felt really compelled. And um, the reason was because I, I used Photoshop for quite a long time. But at some point, I was quite frustrated with so many things happening, like so many options that I never used at all, but they had, that I had to click through all the time. And, and that with the, the performance issues and the, the super large file size and the so many layers inside a file and, and, you know, all of that workflow was not productive to me. So as soon as I opened Sketch, it felt super intuitive. And that's when I knew that I had to teach other designers to use this. Not necessarily just teaching, but like to tell them that this exists. These are the alternatives that you can use as a designer instead of Photoshop. Now, it was crazy back then to, to use anything, anything else than Photoshop or Illustrator. But here comes like a software that I thought was really amazing that did the things that I wanted to do as in terms of user interface design. And it really resonated with me. So that's when I started blogging about it. And that was my first little jump. 
and then you know I continue to to write about it, gain more experience writing, and obviously you know English is not my first language, French is, and uh, you know it's it's something that even if you're uncomfortable with the language, you can still express it in a way that people understand, and I think that's important to understand is that you will always have some handicap in in terms of creating something. You just have to overcome it and keep practicing at it. So the next jump was keep writing it and learning new tools, sharing about those new tools, Xcode being one of them. And while I was in Hong Kong, doing going to those hackathon, um, make a name for yourself. You know, be on Twitter and, and Facebook, chat with people, get their feedback, take every piece of advice that you can get from them. And you can learn so much from all the pieces of feedback on your blog, on the topics that you write about, and eventually take all of that experience and put that in a format that you can sell. Now, when I say sell, I don't necessarily mean like building some cheap product just, just for the sake of, of making some money on the side. When I say sell, I mean like every designer has to, to master this presentation concept like they when you when you're designing something you have to convince people to use it and that job is as important as as it is to make the actual product you have to convince people that this is actually a great idea because as apple you know says like every single idea starts very fragile right and i i mentioned apple but you know it could be very well steve jobs or, or johnny johnny ive um, but their their core philosophy is, is is all about that right it's 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 about this this very concept that start with a very fragile idea and you have to be you have to be very focused into making it into something else and keep working at it and and refine it and and make it better every with every single version and eventually it leads to somewhere and you have to make um you have to make sure that you don't th- throw it away too quickly and that you you use all your experience to make something that really resonate with people and i think that's that's really important um in terms of um what designers need to learn is is to you can call it business skills you can call it presentation skills you can call it essentially it comes down to creating the product but also convincing people afterwards to use it and then iterating it more and more people start using it so design plus code at the beginning didn't make sense at all for me i never wrote a book and that was my first time like teaching people via video or writing something this long or even charging people for a product that in in its first iteration there was basically just a pre-order button right and all that was in the page was here's what the book is going to be about we're going to write about three chapters and these are all the sections that i want to write about and there was almost no content so the big challenge was with this page how can i make people trust enough that they would pay for it and it was not like a small amount like five bucks it was like 50 bucks so the landing page has had to be pretty damn good so i use all my experience and i i spend so much time refining all the details and and making sure that people understand what this book is about. Fortunately for me, in that day that I launched with just a pre-order button, I had like a hundred orders. So uh, thanks to that, that was like push that I needed to, to continue and do what I do until this day.
I remember when you launched the course and coming across and thinking like how amazing it is to have a combination of Sketch and Xcode and how beautiful the pre-order page was. So how did you approach marketing and growth around design plus code? And what were some of the most effective channels that you used? For me personally, it was Twitter and uh, a little bit of Facebook at the beginning. Now more Facebook, I would say. But um, I think Twitter is a really good channel because there are so many designers who are kind of hooked to, to, to Twitter. And uh, since my audience is more like uh, about tech people and designers and developers, uh, most of them use Twitter. So that was my channel of, if you will, marketing. But that's not the whole story. I mean, telling about your product is one thing, but making the product and making sure that with every version, every version is about what people want. Like you have to make sure that you're not just doing one big launch and then you know two months or three months later everyone forget about your product. I think that's definitely the wrong approach. A lot of people do that. They they like they bet everything on one giant launch and then they, they don't really have any plan beyond that. I, I think that's a huge mistake. So with Design Plus Code I knew that I had the pre-order page and I, I think that was quite a big launch and uh, a lot of people heard about it from that time. But at the same time, I decided that, you know, I'm going to release every single chapter every two weeks. So every two or three weeks, I would do another tweet and saying, you know, this is a new chapter. I just launched it. You know, what do you think? So that allowed me to kind of like have a burst every single for every single version that, you know, I release. So it's it's really important to keep iterating and to have really medium-sized launches. You're not like one big launch and then never do another one like for another year or so. Uh, instead, do like medium launch, medium-sized launch um, every maybe one month or two months, uh, which allows people to keep coming back to your product more and more and more. Because, for example, if you take an example like traditional books, right? You start selling the book and then you have like a, a huge burst in the first few weeks. And then from there, it just keeps declining. So that's not what happened with Design Plus Code. In fact, with every single chapter that launched, it kind of brought back all the sales and then it increased to a higher average every single time. So that allowed me to, to not only make a product that is sustainable, but also to keep working at it until today. And it's already been two, two years. So that's really crazy for a book. I mean, most books don't last that long, right? Most books, you know, you have to write a new book every single year or something like that, or every two years, and people forget about it. But with Design Plus Code, it's still there. And I keep writing with every new version of Xcode, every new launch from Apple regarding the topics, every new version of Sketch, so, you know, I keep iterating it and people really appreciate it because, you know, they don't have to pay any extra fee for every single upgrade. So they tend to recommend the product more to their friends because they feel like they're, they're being treated really well in terms of customers. I, I think that that's really important to, to want to recommend your product and to keep like kind of um, talking about it. So you've also created a ton of tools and resources to support new designers and developers, including Canvas, an animation library tool for Xcode. So what drives you to create these resources? Yeah, and that, that is back to my point about like keep iterating it and keep supporting the community, giving back. Because you can't just create products that, you know, that sells, right? 
eventually people are going to be turned off and they're just going to think that you're just someone who's trying to sell everything. And I think that's not the point at all with Design Plus Code or anything that I do in my life. Like, I really, really want to make people's lives better. And that's always has been the goal. Now, if I can't make money, I can't do that, right? I have to join a startup. I have to work on freelancing projects at the same time that I do these side projects that may or may not help the community. But thanks to Design Plus Code, I can do that full time. And everyone wins, even though they, you know, they, they pay for the product. But at the same time that they pay for the product, they get for, for something that is 10 times the quality that I would you know, normally do if I didn't do, do it full time. But at the same time, you know, I have to sit back sometimes and, you know, think about new ways to engage people. And I still have to kind of give back to the community. So, for example, Canvas and Spring was my way of saying, hey, this is a concept that I thought about for a long time. And I worked on this with my developers and we thought it would be really cool and, and helpful for your project. So we launched that. Um, the same thing with the, the iOS GUI that we released for iPad and iOS and the Apple Watch. It was not existent back then. I mean, sure, Tihan and Lax, they, they used to do it for, um, and, and they're, they're, they just started doing it again. But for about one year when they, they transitioned to Facebook, nobody was doing it uh, for the Apple Watch, for, the, uh, for iOS 9. And so I, I wanted to do that because there was a lack in it, especially for Sketch. So I did that. I released it for free, you know, with the hope that people who use it, maybe they, they can hear about Design Plus Code as well. And if they're interested in, you know, learning more about Sketch or about Xcode, they can do that by using Design Plus Code. So, yeah, the, the idea of, you know, doing those projects was really to, to help the community, but at the same time, bring a level of awareness of what is beyond the things that you can do with those tools. That's great. So what's your take on designers needing to learn how to code? Is it something that you believe is necessary for, you know, a designer getting into the industry? Is it necessary? I don't think it's necessary. But the thing is, you have to figure out, like, what kind of designer are you? Are you a person who's more like an artist who, like, solely focus on visuals and just, like, doing something that is static? And if you're that person, like... And I'm, I'm not saying that it's bad at all. I think that's great. We have a lot of amazing, you know, icon designers, uh, illustrators and web designers who are completely focused on just the visual aspect of it or the user experience aspect of it. And that's great. But there, there are other people that I would call makers, such, a my, such as myself. It's those people who don't really just think about one facet of a product right? We, when we think of a product, we think about the finish line. We think about what's going to happen when this is going to land to my, in the hands of my users. What, how are they going to feel about it? And if they have feedback, how can I deal with those feedback? So to me, it was crucial to learn code because I wanted to, to be part of all, all of those facets into delivering the product. And I didn't want to depend and be at the mercy of other people's schedule. And I've always been that person. Ever since that I started all the communities in the past, I wanted to learn PHP and MySQL because of that. I wanted to learn CSS and HTML and JavaScript because of that. And I wanted to learn Objective-C because of that. Because I wanted to take my design, which is static, and animate it and get it on a phone so that people can use it. And I didn't want to wait months and months and months before an iOS developer or, you know, a web developer touches it and try to figure out like very complex 
uh, algorithms to, you know, to make it work. I wanted to be the person to figure it out and, and kind of at least get a prototype out there, right? At least get, you know, to a point where it's usable. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to have like the best code, you know, in, in the entire world. It, it can just have enough so that people understand what this is about and what is this concept and to make it realistic enough so, so that the feedback that you receive for, for the product that you're making is as realistic as possible. And whenever you make those iterations, you don't do it based on feedback that is about how blue the button is, for example, right? You know, you, you want to get really, really good feedback like this screen doesn't make any sense or I don't know where to go from here or why is this so slow? So that's the, the type of feedback that can really kill your product. And, uh, and I think, you know, that's why I really wanted to learn how to code. So what's next for Design Plus Code? I, I got a lot of feedback, you know, about writing a book about the web because this is something that I've done for a very, very long time, much, much longer than, than iOS development. So I, I might want to, you know, try to come up with one path amongst millions of paths. I mean, the web is so mature and there are so many ways to take a concept and push it out there. And like, there are so many languages, so many frameworks. It's so scattered. So my goal, I hope, and if I, if I'm not too busy with design plus code and angle is to, to write a book about the web and approaching design and, and pushing something out so that it's not too complex. It doesn't feel, you know, it doesn't feel too alien to someone who's never touched the web, for example. And that has always been uh, my approach with every product is, is to make it simple enough that anyone of any background can learn from it and, and use it and, and be really um, engaged with the product. That's awesome. So besides, you know, design uh, plus code, you're actually currently a new parent and, and, and live in Montreal, Canada. So what's that sort of transition been like for you uh, becoming a parent and, and sort of maintaining that, that healthy work-life balance uh, while working from home? Yeah, this is a, a completely new challenge for me. And, you know, I'm, I'm a first-time parent and uh, we've been traveling for two years. And, you know, at some point we, we had to figure out, like, we can't do this forever. It's not because of financial reasons, it's more like I'm almost 35, you know, the clock is ticking. We need to start thinking about starting a family. Where should we settle? And I think a lot of people are going to start struggling about this uh, because in our generation, most people are going to start having kids maybe at 30, 35 years old. I know most of my friends, you know, are like that. Another struggle that a lot of people I think are going to be facing is like, should I work from home or should I try to find a startup in San Francisco or in my own city. Now, I think that the world is more and more connected thanks to a lot of tools and, and traveling is going to be much, much easier in the future. And at the same time, I feel like you don't need to, to go to another country, at least not permanently. Like you can still go to San Francisco and, and get, gain all that experience that you need to start building your own product and, and gain all the skills that you need to, you know, to be sustainable in your, in what you do. But at the same time, you don't need to, to move and, and think about it permanently. So that's, that's what I end up doing. And, and thanks to the project that I started, I'm able to do that. I'm, I'm able to say, well, I can work from anywhere that I want because I'm lucky enough to be uh, able to create products from my laptop, which I can move around with me 
anywhere in the world. I just need to be connected to the internet. And this is not the, the type of luck that my mother or my, my cousins have, right? We're so lucky to be able to, to make a living out of the internet. So I think that's a really, really good opportunity for may, many people like me to be a parent or to be spending time with their families and to, to stay at this city that they love and be able to make a good living at the same time. So working remotely, sure, it's a challenge, just like freelancing. And, and as, at the same time, being a parent as well, is a, it's a huge challenge. But I think this is something that we can all figure out. Uh, personally, for me, I, I think that's the biggest blessing that I've ever, ever had in my life is to be able to spend every single minute every single hour with my little kid and, and to be able to help my wife to tackle this challenge because like to be a, a mom is like, you know, it's a full-time job and it's just so demanding for her. So we try to split all the tasks and all the, all the things, you know, I can cook, I can uh, clean, I can change the diapers, I can like take care of the baby and feed the baby sometimes. So I think that's really, really good. And at the same time, I can do the work. Now, I think with every challenge like that, when you, you're at home, there's always a choice. You have a choice to watch TV or to work. You have a choice to hang out with your friends or work. So being a parent simply means that you have to screw the TV and just take care of your kid and work. So I guess it's all about prioritization. And that's what I had to do as a parent is just to say, well, I can't watch TV as much as I used to, which is fine because I don't have that much satisfaction watching TV. Sure, it's fun, you know, watching these TV series back to back like Game of Thrones and stuff like that. I think it's fun. But at the same time, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to make a living out of it. You're not going to be like so, a so much smarter person because of it. So I think when you're a parent, you have to think about like what is more meaningful in your life. Like you have to spend more time with your kid. You would spend more time stuff that you can, you can teach your kids in the future, like cooking, like doing the work that you do, you know, inspiring them to, to be successful in their future. So that's what I try to do is to focus on that stuff so that eventually, you know, I can teach my kid, you know, how to do that, the, 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 the same things that I did um, that made me happy and that made me uh, the person that I am today. That's awesome. And so, you know, what's Montreal like as a city and how has it sort of impacted your career? I think Montreal is a really good place to, um, to start a family. <laughs> Being in Quebec, we have a really, really good um, health insurance for parents. Parents, they have like as much as 50 weeks of maternity leave and, uh, well, maternity plus parents' leave. So it's huge. Compared to other places, this is huge. People treat us so well as parents. And uh, the experience at the hospital was amazing. Now, I'm not saying that the healthcare in general is amazing, but I think that it's very affordable compared to, let's say, the United States, for example. And so that was definitely one of the big factors for me in, at selecting this city instead of other places. And obviously, we have the family that is nearby. And I think that's really important when you start a family is to have, you know, other family members that are not too far. And and the other thing is the housing is, is really cheap compared to other cities in uh, in Canada, like Toronto, for example, which is really expensive compared to, to Montreal. So because I can work from home, I don't have to worry too much about Am I going to make as much money because of this job that is located in Montreal? 
Um, so that's one of the big advantages of working from home is that it's not so much about what you can do in this city. It's more about what you can do internationally, right? Usually if you launch a product online, it's, you don't price it at the Montreal level or at your city's level. You price it at the international level. And I think that's a huge, uh, that's a huge gain, um, that you can get because you can deal with US, uh, dollars and, there's a general sense of what a product is worth. And so you translate that to your cost of living. If the cost of living is really low, like Montreal, for example, you gain a lot from, from that. That's amazing. I'm, I'm really happy that, you know, you fell in love with Montreal. I've been there many times and I, I love, I love the city. So, um, are there any new devices that you've used or purchased lately? Like, have you gotten your hands on an iPad Pro yet? Yeah, I do have a, the iPad Pro and, um, with every new technologies like that, I try to, I try to have a really good objective sense of what this product is about. And uh, this is a lesson that I've learned a lot over and over with Apple products is that you will always be very quick to judge as to how worthy this device is going to be. But you, you're never going to know until you actually use it for at least, you know, a month, I would say. I used to be a, um, a huge Windows guy and, you know, like, 10 years ago. And I, I never really understood what, what was the point of getting a Mac. But until I used it, I never understood that. But eventually, everything proved me wrong about Apple products. So the same thing with the iPhone, the same thing with the iPad, the same thing with the MacBook and the iMac. So every single time. So with the iPad Pro, it's the same thing. I, I have to purchase it. I have to try it for at least a month. And now I have a, a good objective sense of what you know it's really worth. So here's my impressions of the iPad Pro. I think it's the perfect laptop replacement. I would say like it's so much more comfortable than the MacBook if I'm really objective because I've, I've started using it every single day for the past month and a half. And, you know, I started downloading these, these uh, professional apps and stuff like that. But beyond that, I think that Apple has always been amazing at the hardware part. And I think the iPad Pro is incredible in terms of hardware. Sure, a lot of people say that it's expensive. Now, I, I completely disagree with that because it's expensive if you compare it to other iPads, but it's really cheap if you compare it to a MacBook Pro, right? You have a monitor, you have a really, really decent computer inside it, and you have a really big screen for $1,000. I, I think, you know, if you, if you think about that, it's really cheap because for twice the amount of money, you can get a MacBook Pro. And arguably, depending on what you're doing now, because I'm a designer and I also do code and I can do, and I also want to do Xcode, the iPad Pro can't take me all the way. But if I was someone who's a writer, if I was someone who's to drawings, if I was someone who lightly design, like, you know, there's really, really good new applications for creating designs and mockups and wireframes and even 3D. Um, that are on the iPad right now that I think could be really attractive to someone like that. So the iPad Pro, if I was that person, I would be in love. I, I wouldn't need a MacBook, but I would say that I'm not there yet. But I'm really, really hopeful that this device is going to get me there. And just in speaking in terms of form factor and usability, the quality of, of the device, I think the iPad Pro is, is a winner. I think, you know, I want to use it more. I want to use it more and more. Just the screen is gorgeous. The speakers are amazing. Every time I use it, even with the, the, the little keyboard that I bought it with or the pencil, like it feels so, 
so close to you. It's like the iPhone, but the more you use it, you feel like so close to it. The iPad Pro, is, it feels the same way. It feels like a laptop, but you're so much closer to the screen. You're so much closer to the content. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a gorgeous touchscreen. So all I'm waiting for is like an application as robust as Sketch. Uh, we're getting there. But more importantly, like, a, you know, some way to, to really, really easily save files and manipulate files and share files to be able to, to do coding really easily, um, to create apps from it. And I think there's also a huge missed opportunity for Apple to create more expensive apps, but at much higher quality, like, you know, Sketch and Photoshop that costs like $100, but that comes with a trial. So I think that's a huge missed opportunity for, for Apple to not have trials because then people cannot charge too much for software and because they cannot charge too much for software they can't really spend that much more time into developing their software and i can see that the problem that a lot of um, app makers they don't they don't seem to be quite as successful as you know affinity designer or as sketch um, in the marketplace unfortunately yeah, that's very cool. I've only had a chance to play with the uh, iPad Pro a few times, but really, really like your thoughts uh, at the end. It makes a lot of sense. So do you have any last thoughts or personal mottos that you live by and you think other people should know about? That's a good question. There are so many. I mean, I learn new things every single day and uh, I want to keep continuing to do that. And I think that if you're really curious about learning new things, then more and more new experiences and new things are going to seem natural for you to learn eventually. And I think the key is to keep learning new things and not thinking too hard about what's the end of it because it's there. You just don't know it yet. You know, it's, it's always going to be there for you. The skills is what's going to follow you at every single turn. It's not about how much money you made at this turn. Sure, it's important to keep you going, but at the end of the day, what I think that I kept all these years are the skills that I learned all these years. Like if I think about 10 years ago, I learned HTML and CSS and I still use that. Even some of the flash um, skills that I used to have, I still use those for the animations. PHP and MySQL, I still use those skills for learning uh, new programming languages and such as JavaScript and, um, and Objective-C and Swift. It's really not obvious to see the value in what you're doing right now, but it's going to make sense in the future, especially in, if you invest in, in your skills. That's a great way to end the episode. Meng, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. It was amazing to have you on and have you share your story and, and all those amazing things with us. I'm humble and thank you so much for allowing me to tell my story. And I hope that this is going to make sense to a lot of designers out there. Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Hack to Start and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind the scenes content, and more. Thanks for listening and see you next time.